before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk to you about our partner for this podcast, Famigo, formerly known as BravoPay. Famigo is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at Famigo.com. I'll leave more info in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome all you wonderful people to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Alexander Zwerner, a music journalist who writes for Ear Milk, as well as the founder of Beatly Music, which is a review platform. Think like Rotten Tomatoes, but for singles and albums. In this interview, we discuss how Alexander got into music journalism that led into writing for Ear Milk, as well as the beginnings of Beatly. In addition, we dive into the future of NFTs in the music industry. That's definitely something that if anybody you're interested in, we definitely do talk about this quite a bit in this episode. I hope you enjoy this interview with Alexander Zwerner. Hey, Alexander, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, thanks. So, I'm really am glad that we got together on this podcast, and I just want to make an example of this, and I'm kind of a little bit reluctant about mentioning this, but you reached out to us on a whim and asked if we, you could be on the podcast. So, um, you know, first of all, I'm really excited that you did so, but I just want to give proof of the fact that sometimes if you just reach out, you never know what kind of results you're going to get. Exactly. I mean, my mom used to, used to tell me that uh, if you don't try, you can't succeed, and uh I feel like that's really important in a lot of the business stuff. Like if you don't send an email out to people, you're not going to get that response. So, you know, I, I've sent emails out to a lot of people uh, with with Ear Milk stuff and Beatly stuff. Um, and, you know, I just try a bunch of things, see what happens. But I, I heard about your podcast. I really love what you're doing with a lot of artists and DJs and a lot of these interviews. And I thought it'd be great to come on. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate that. So... How did you get started in music journalism? Like, when did you know that was going to be a passion of yours? Yeah, I mean, when I was young, you know, I, I moved around a lot. Um, and something that was really important to me when I was young was basketball. And uh, with a lot of high-level basketball, you have kids from completely different areas. Um, you know, in Atlanta, we had kids from North Atlanta, South Atlanta, West Atlanta. And the one big thing that really united a lot of my basketball teams was music. Um, and so music has really been a super important thing to me ever since I was young and has been a really important way for me to connect to people of all different types and all different backgrounds. Um, and so I basically turned that love for music when I was young into hopefully a future career. Now, are you a musician yourself? Um, you know, I've never, I've always say that my, my, uh, my voice is, it would definitely hurt some ears if I started singing on this podcast right now. But uh, <laughs> same here, I, my friend. Same here. Yeah, but I, I, I really love music. I really love the uh, emotions it can bring out of people, the ways it can connect people, um, and I really, you know, I really try to put everything possible to help bring music to more people and to help connect more people through music. Um, and so that's what really was the spark that led me to writing about music for Ear Milk and uh, writing a book about hip hop. 
So, so that that's amazing. And, and, and of course, um, and I am aware of ear milk, of course. So did you, so how did you get started? Did you just go straight after ear milk and give them some examples Did you have your own blog? Like, how did you get started? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would definitely not advise if you're a writer to just eat out, uh, like email ear milk and be like, Hey, I have one piece on my website, like take a look because they're not going to, they're not going to bring you on. Uh, one, the big thing that I started with was I started with my own blog, uh, called ATL vibes. Um, I put about 50 articles onto there or something crazy. Um, and then I basically used the momentum I had from ATL vibes and I wrote my own book about the history of hip hop. Um, you know, like I said earlier, music was super important on these basketball teams I used to play for. Um, and one of the big genres that everyone listened to was hip hop. Um, you know, the Travis Scott of 2016s, the, the Kanye West albums, those things really connected us. Um, and so I wanted to give back in some way. And I wrote this book about the history of hip hop. Um, and I published it on Amazon. And, you know, like all the proceeds, I decided to, you know, donate back to some of the programs that helped me and my teammates, um, 100 Black Men of Atlanta and the Atlanta Boys and Girls Club. Um, and I basically used that book and the 50 articles that I wrote and reached out to Ian Milk and said, hey, like, look at my work. Um, would love to come on as a writer. And I'll be honest with you, they did not reach out to me, like anywhere close to that email I sent to them. <laughs> I probably sent that email in October and I got this random email in like February. And they were like, hey, saw your stuff. We'd love to have you come on as a writer. And I was like, oh crap, like this is awesome. Um, and I, I came on to Ear Milk about a year or so ago, a year and a half. Um, and I've been writing for them ever since. That's incredible. And, you know, just like you mentioned before, you don't know until you take your shot and you try. And the other thing too, is that sometimes it takes a while to get that response. You know, it may take a couple months. It may take even a couple of years. Like I've had certain opportunities come my way that I had to try over and over and over and over again. And it wouldn't come to fruition in, you know, two, three, four, five years later down the road, or sometimes, you know, and sometimes it doesn't happen at all, but sometimes it does happen. It just takes a while. Yeah. I mean, to put it in basketball terms, uh, my coach has always said, you know, you miss every shot you don't take, uh, which is sort of that cliche line. But I feel like that really relates to a lot of the stuff that I've had to do with uh, reaching out to various blogs to uh, try to consult and write for them. That's a Wayne Gretzky slash Michael Scott. If you're a fan of the office. Yeah. <laughs> But it's very, very true. So, all right. So you've you started your own blog. Um, I actually want to go back to that for a second before you joined into Ear Milk. Um, mm -hmm. Now that you're starting to write articles, uh, what was some of the lessons that you learned uh, starting your own blog? Uh, you know, the beginning is so hard with really anything you start. Um, you know, writing article after article after article and getting no views is uh, definitely demoralizing at times. Um, you know, I, I look back to my stats pretty recently of, the, of my old blog. And like the whole first year I had 2000 views on the whole blog or something. And I was like, man, those are some tough times. And now I'm getting like at the, at, when I was like writing for, for that blog for like a lot, like a lot of articles per month, um, I was getting like 3000 views a month. So it was definitely, um, I think the most important thing with writing is just to be consistent. Um, you know, I think that's with writing with social media, with just careers in general, like you got to be consistent with a lot of the stuff you put in or else no one's really going to pay attention to you. Absolutely. I completely agree. 
So shifting then into uh, Ear Milk, what was your experience like now writing for somebody else? Uh, you know, there was a major difference. When I was writing with my own blog, the big thing was that I had to reach out to every single artist possible, you know, to get the press releases, to get the material, to get the, the pre-release songs. Um, and when I first started writing for Ear Milk, it was crazy to see that people were reaching out to me now after like after the sheer amount of time I had to put in to like just reach out to people, it was crazy to see that people were actually reaching out to me. So I think that was the biggest mindset difference um, between writing for my own blog and writing for Ear Milk. And I think the big thing for Ear Milk is that it puts you in a lot. Of, it puts you in contact with a lot of really great artists and a lot of really great managers. You know, I think just from a, a business, uh, a music business industry, um, you know, I've met so many great people through Ear Milk. You know, a lot of managers have reached out to me and I've had a lot of great calls. Um, you know, there's a lot of other blogs that I've had the chance to talk to their, to their founders, uh, blogs like Early Rising, Sheesh Media. Um, and I think the opportunities that Earmilk has given me were, you know, exceptional. That's incredible. So speaking of which, now that everyone's coming in to you, right? So I'm sure you've gotten so many requests from people um, all across the board um, trying mm -hmm. to get uh, featured into Ear Milk. So now that you've been doing it for a little while, can you uh, give me a couple of uh, do's and don'ts when it comes to reaching out to press? Yeah, you know, personally, I like um, a personal touch onto a lot of the, the emails. You know, you get a lot of emails um, and they're just mass emails. Like you can tell it's just like, hello, and then it doesn't have your name in it. Or like, there's no like, hello, ear milk writer, or like, love your stuff you're doing at ear milk. Like, it's obvious it's just a bulk email. Um, and I think for a lot of writers, um, it's really important to put that personal touch onto it. You know, I've personally, I'm fine with people reaching out to me on Instagram. I know some other writers um, don't love that because they, they think it's like, you know, this is my home, you shouldn't be knocking on my door, essentially. Um, but, you know, I've read, you know, a lot of managers have reached out to me and I've um, been receptive to a lot of that stuff on Instagram. Um, so I think reaching out to people via Instagram, via LinkedIn, um, or putting a personal touch on your emails is really the most important thing if you want to get your your music featured on Earmilk or other blogs. Is there any uh, big don'ts? Like, don't do this. Yeah, I mean, the biggest don't I'd have to say is just, you know, don't have bulk emails and don't send me five emails about the same song. I think sending that first email out and then sending a, a follow-up email a little bit later is, is definitely the way to go if you're a up and coming artist. Um, but just spamming people they're they're going to immediately come off and tell you like, stop emailing me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been, it's also, it's been a very interesting challenge, especially these days because of the fact that press is, you know, bombarded by so many incoming messages from people that want to get featured. At the same token, too, on the other side, you know, the challenge for us is that how much time it takes to yeah. do the research into publications, how to reach out to them, what, what, how do they, you know, where to go, how do they want to be delivered their information? Because some publications, they have their own form, they have a specific subject line you have to fill out. Mm -hmm. So that becomes uh, you know, uh, very challenging because it takes a lot of time to to go through them, especially if you're trying to reach out to people that you don't know. Of course, yeah. it's a lot easier when you start building that relationship with them. So mm -hmm. I find this a very interesting time right now, um, trying to find that balance, you know, even as a label, right, is that, 
you know, to do all that work, I mean, you can, of course, hire a PR agent, things like that. But to do all that work, it's been, you know, in trying to invest hours and hours of time. So we try to find like a, a try to do a hybrid, if you will. So um, just a little uh, clue about what we do in 8020 is that we'll, we'll have our personal list. So people that we already have a relationship with, or at least covered our artist ahead of time that we will reach out to initially. And those are very highly personalized emails because again, we know them. And then for the people that we don't know, um, of course, it, get, it really depends. If it's like a publication that we really want to make sure that we get their attention of, we will put the effort into personalizing and really finding the right person. But then we still want to cut, you know, throw out a wider net too, because you just don't know who might be interested in picking it up. So we do that in a press release form. So we do we do a mass, e, um, you know, we do a, one of those um, emailers. Uh, in this case, Mailchimp. We use Mailchimp, mm-hmm. and we send it out as a press release. So it's not a, it, it is a canned email, but it's clearly a press release. It's like there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, what I mean, like it's not, you know, it's not like hello, but and then nothing else, and it just looks like a canned email. It's like no, yeah. it's a it's a press release. You know, it's an automated thing because it's a press release. But mm-hmm. this way too, it has everything that you would need in the press release. You don't have to contact us to get more information. It's all there. And if you want to cover it, great. Just let us know and we'll make sure we thank you and things like that on our socials. And if not, that's totally cool too. And this way also, because it's built into it, people can easily unsubscribe if they don't want them anymore. So mm-hmm. we felt like that would be a good way to kind of balance it out. And we're still trying to see if that's the best way to do it or not. But like at the same token, it is really challenging right now to to try to find that right balance, right? And where you're you're doing it in volume, but also being but also doing it very laser focused as well. So you're mm-hmm. not just hitting up everybody. Like even our list is very focused. It is very focused specifically on the job. We're not like hitting up like we're not promoting like an alt rock bar artist and then hitting up a country blog. Like we're yeah, yeah. we're making sure we're hitting the right people, but still it's you know, we try to find that that interest and balance. And then the ones that do cover us, then we're going to start emailing them personally to letting them know. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think press releases are definitely not extinct. You know, I've written articles about press releases from uh, bands and some other bigger artists like uh, Gus Dapperton. Um, and so I think press releases are definitely important. Um, I think that's a great strategy with the whole personal, but have the press releases as well. And I think also what one thing you did say that's also really important for musicians to hear is that your your emails should be easy for the journalists. You know, having those links to the press release and the photos directly in the email is so important because I've I've read a lot of emails and like I can't even find the press release link in there. And I'm like, I'm not writing about your song. Like <laughs> there should be a press release link in here. Um, but I think that's that's definitely important for a lot of musicians. Hundred percent, and honestly, these days, there's really no excuse. Like yeah. in the past, I could understand, but nowadays, set up a Dropbox link, set up a Google Drive link, yeah, yeah, yeah. throw it in there, put all the stuff in there, and for for you to download, and you're done. You know, like you don't have to get that complicated. We used to do like EPKs and all that kind of like all these crazy things to try and make it easy. Now, like everybody knows how to use Dropbox. Everyone knows how to use Google Drive. Just you know, whichever one you want to do, it doesn't make a difference, but it makes it so easy now to just pop all the information in there, make sure everything, everything's labeled right, formatted right, all that fun stuff, but have it all in there, send the link across and boom, you're, you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Cool. Okay. So I uh, want to go also to the book. So what made you decide to write a book about, um, 
like I know you were doing it for charity, but did you always want to to write a book? Yeah, you know, I I've been doing a lot of this short form short form uh, writing with the just news articles and reviews, and I want to do something a little longer um, and something that would sort of move forward the hip hop genre in some sense. Um, and so that was the really big thing that led me to to write the book. I basically took a summer. Um, did a bunch of research into hip hop, into each genre. And the book is, uh, it's formatted in basically every decade has its own chapter. So the 1970s, 1980s, and so on. Um, and so I did a bunch of research into each decade, learned a lot, talked to a lot of really interesting people about hip hop and the history um, and the big players at the time. Um, and I was lucky enough to publish that on Amazon and get a bunch of, um, you know, the one, the big thing with Amazon is that it gets put onto all of the marketplaces. So my book was on the U S marketplace, but it was also on the Japan marketplace. So I'd look at my freaking dashboard and, you know, I had like Japanese yen or something in my, in my dashboard for someone buying the book. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, um, and so it was sort of crazy to see that, you know, not only does America care about hip hop and the genre, but people around the world do as well. Um, and it was funny. I got, you know, the, I got this review from, from this guy that lived in the UK and he bought the book and wrote this review. And he was like, there's not enough UK rap in here. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like I'm an American. I, I didn't write anything about UK rap. And he was like mad at me and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, what do you want me to do? Uh, and so Sounds I was like, I you was... need to write another book on UK rappers. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's telling me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was really crazy to see just how, how global hip hop is um, in that sense. And I think that was, it was a really good experience. So now that you've, you had your own blog, now you're writing for ear milk. You also decided to create a new venture called Beatly music. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about uh, what came up with that idea and you know, why you decided to create it and what yeah, it is? So, yeah, of course. So um, Beatly music is essentially uh, in simple terms, just rotten tomatoes for music. Um, so we take critic reviews from people like Anthony Fantano, uh, Gigwise, and a lot of these music blog review type places. And then we average them to get one average critic rating for you know the thirty thousand albums that we have in our database. Um, and so that's the that's the basic explanation of what Beatly Music is. And you know the big thing that really started me on this whole new venture um, while I was writing for Emo was you know I would go through hundreds of songs to try to find some song to write, or hundreds of emails to write to just to find one song to write about on Emo. And I was like, God, there has to be like a way better way to do this. And so I was like, you know, it'd be so much easier if I could just see an album or see a song and see an average critic rating, just to know if it's good or not, or if other critics like it. And so I basically took that idea and this was during COVID. Um, and I really dove deep into uh, computer science. Uh, I used Udemy and a lot of these online resources, um, really dove deep into coding learned a lot of the fun fundamentals and put the uh, the website out about a month or two ago. Uh, and it's been really great. I have a lot of, I had a lot of great um, feedback on the website. I've had a few writers come on to, to write for the website as well. So it's been going well. I'm, I'm excited to see what the future has.
Well, store congratulations on launching. That's that's absolutely fantastic. And you know, this is an interesting time. I mean, it is, you know, because you know, even though so many people are struggling right now, and it's and my heart goes out to them, it is a, also a time for innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know because we had so much free time just stuck in our in our houses. I think it's a great time to take up that skill, take up that thing that you always wanted to do and to just really like dive into it. Um, you know, I, I thought COVID, you know, while it was definitely a tough time, I guess, mentally for a lot of people and, you know, physically as well, because just sickness and all that, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good time for me to sort of channel all that uh, into something positive, uh, to channel that free time into learning about coding and working on this project. Absolutely. So speaking of which, um, talking about innovation, um, I know that you're really into NFTs as well. And it's, it's an area that I'm still trying to navigate myself. I've been more mm-hmm. of a spectator and just kind of seeing what happens. So what are your thoughts on on NFTs, especially in the music industry moving forward? Uh, you know, personally, I think NFTs are going to completely change the music industry. You know, recently, Tory Lanez has been big into NFTs and he put out uh, an album that you can't stream. And the only way you can stream um, is by buying this NFT. So you can't stream on Spotify, you can't stream on Apple Music, you have to stream it through this NFT. And he put a million units out at $1 and sold out in under a minute. This was like today or yesterday or something like that. Wow. Um, so he's been making big grounds, big big pushes into this whole NFT stuff. You know, His album, he said, went platinum, right? In under a minute because he got a million sales. Uh, and I think, those type of those type of things are going to be super just you know with the advent of streaming a lot of musicians payouts have been much lower than they were in a decade two decades ago because obviously cds and vinyls netted a lot more for for artists um and i think nfts are going to be the big thing that's going to equal out a lot of the the royalties that a lot of these musicians are are missing yeah i'm i'm very curious because uh i was a big you know, really big into technology. In fact, before A20 Records, I had um, a website where we actually hosted our own internet radio stations mm-hmm. um, as a way to kind of centralize it. This was before Pandora and before Last yeah, yeah. FM. And um, so really into technology. So I was very, very curious about uh, the NFT space. And it's kind of still very much the wild, wild west on what is For going sure. on right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I it's very interesting because I like, I, I like the idea. I'm also a collector too. So I like the idea of the collectible aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's uh, just you going to th- through the pros and cons. I have seen um, some fans of artists actually um, there's some backlash there was there because of some of the uh, reports about NFTs being harmful for the environment and mm-hmm. things like that, too. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see to, to right now to try to navigate through that. Also, if you're not already into cryptocurrency, sometimes it is challenging for people to to get into it, to invest into NFTs right now as well. Yeah, I mean, the big thing with the environmental as well, um, you know, the the big cryptocurrency behind a lot of these NFTs is Ethereum. And Ethereum is coming out with uh, new updates that will drastically reduce um, this sort of energy that they hold up. You know, right now it's like as much energy as a country, which is ridiculous. Um, and with the new updates, they said it was going to be like one, uh, like one out of a hundred of the, uh, the energy they're using. So it should... The new updates that are coming to Ethereum and NFT should drastically reduce the uh, environmental uh, impacts in the future. I did not know that, so that's that's really good to hear. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of, that's why I've been mostly like kind of just 
waiting because I think it just need things need to kind of settle in a little bit. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. you could be that that initial pioneer that really does extremely well. But the same token mm-hmm. too, because it's it fluctuates right now like crazy between all these different things going on. Sometimes it can be, you know, it can backfire on you too, I find. So it's like trying to find that right moment and that right opportunity of one to get into it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the early players right now are sort of going to be the, uh, the my spaces of this, uh, this whole new frontier. You know, I think a lot of these early successes are going to turn out to not be successful in 10, 20 years. Um, you know, I, the big thing with a lot of these NFT platforms that worry me um, is that they're not putting a large emphasis on community yet. I think the biggest player right now that's putting an emphasis on community is Top Shot. Um, if you haven't heard about it, it's basically just uh, collectible NBA highlights, um, yep. essentially. Uh, and so they've been putting a massive emphasis on community. And I think that's really important for the future because you know I could buy an NFT, but if I display it on my profile and no one cares, really what's the point? Yep, 100% agree. What the NBA has done is absolutely brilliant. Like they really, really did a good job in marketing that. So uh, kudos to them for that front. I'm actually also really excited about the practical elements of NFTs moving forward. Uh, Mm -hmm. To me, I I feel that we'll definitely have that, uh, if you will, I'll I'll continue using the word collectible, but it can be meaning more than just that. But that, that, um, that status, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. for NFTs. I think that will still continue to evolve and grow. The thing that I'm also really, really equally excited about is the practical elements. So uh, for at least for the music industry aspect of it, um, contracts or licensing, mm-hmm. I think this could really change the game because right now uh, it's extremely complex on what the arrangements are, what the deals are, what you know, how to license music, who has permission to use it, what the permission means. All yeah. those different things can be very, very complex and and sometimes extremely difficult to find that information out where if they're, if it's part of the blockchain, it's, it's, a, it's an NFT token transfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can, that can change so much. I mean, royalty collections across the board. I mean, this could like, there's, there's literally millions of dollars that are left in unchecked uh, royalties because just people don't know how to collect them. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I've, but I've, I've talked to a lot of people about NFTs over the past year or so and you know one of the big things that a lot of people ask me is like why would i care about owning a jpeg file or a photo file right um and i you know it, it makes a lot of sense to me because i played a lot of uh fifa uh, a lot of fifa ultimate team when i was younger and you know i was fanatical about owning the ronaldo's the messies um so it makes a lot of sense to me but you know like the big thing that i i talked to a lot of people about biggest example is just you know how much would you pay to have a little verified check on your Instagram. Um, and I think, you know, people would probably pay $1,000, probably get a, a little Instagram verified check. And, you know, in the general sense, that's just a small JPEG file on your profile. Um, and so how, I think- Sorry, you know, I was gonna say, like how many people have purchased, have done in-game purchases um, for like Farmville or any mm-hmm. of the games that are out there? Um, how many people have purchased things for, uh, purchased digital, uh, uh, assets for cosmetics, right? How many people have like not even the digital world? Let's not even talk about the digital world for a second. The physical world. How many people have bought things that are just pieces of plastic or 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 metal or porcelain mm-hmm. or whatever the case is that you, you're spending you know tens or h- even hundreds or even thousands of dollars on, right? It's your own perceived value that's yeah. on it, right? 
that's the whole point is like it's 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 always comes down to that perceived value it's up to you to decide if that object whether it's in the digital or physical world is worth the price that's at yeah i mean you know just look at louis vuitton right louis vuitton to produce the uh a t-shirt for example right it's probably costing them under $500, but they're selling it for thousands of dollars because people perceive putting a Louis Vuitton shirt on as cool. So, you know, you can even see with a lot of this reselling stuff as well, you know, that the Yeezys, the Supreme, they're reselling for thousands of dollars because they're almost status symbols. And I think that's what a lot of these NFTs will eventually become, you know, they'll become status symbols. Like when I meet someone and I want to see how cool they are, right? I won't look at what they're wearing. I'll look at their NFTs online. So that's how I think it's going to be in the future. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And that it can create this entire uh, new economy for so mm-hmm. many people. And, you know, especially these days, like you mentioned before, you know, streaming is, uh, you know, is really, really rough right now on royalties. And we can go yeah. into that too. I mean, I have a whole ki- <laughs> all kinds of thoughts on streaming, but just in general, especially when it comes to just new opportunities, right? You know, where even 10 years ago, the main thing was streaming, uh, CD, vinyl to a degree, and um, and doing like, let's say, crowdfunding campaigns, for example. Like those were like the, the mains and merchandise and touring, things yeah, like yeah, that yeah. too, right? So the common elements. And nowadays, it's, it's shifted quite a bit where instead of crowdfunding, now uh, a lot of ours are doing Patreon. So yeah. similar concept, but now it's more on a, a monthly or frequent basis. Um you know, so you now have that. You now have NFTs that are coming out. Um, you still have merchandise, which merchandise has been completely revolutionized by uh, affordable on-demand printing, which mm-hmm. really hasn't even existed two, three years ago in in the way that it is now. So that has completely changed the game on even merchandising. So and especially now, and vinyl is going crazy. I mean, you know, yeah. we're talking to people in that like sometimes the six to eight months, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, behind on production time. It's crazy. Yeah. So. You know, vinyls do, is doing amazing right now, and now is the perfect time to think of new revenue sources because you know tours are still you know are still very wonky right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the big things with with NFTs is that you know I hear from a lot of people that you know it's only going to benefit the bigger artists. It's going to benefit the Drakes, the Travis Scotts, the people that can actually have that fan base that will pay thousands of dollars for them, um, but. I had, a, I had an artist reach out to me to write an article about them recently. And basically what they were going to do was they were going to put this NFT out. And if you bought the NFT, then you get a share of the revenue from the song. And, you know, he put the NFT out and it got completely sold out. And he has 400 followers on Instagram. Um, and so, you know, this is a very, this is an up and coming artist, but, you know, he was able to take that sort of revenue and, spread it out to a lot of his fans, which I thought was really interesting in space. It's an interesting space. I don't know how I feel about that, to be perfectly honest, because, and this is coming from the label perspective, yeah. is that if I knew that an artist did an FT run like that, and there's revenue shares that's being put, you know, between like 50, 100,000, yeah. whatever the case people, I don't think I would touch it because the amount of work to hunt everybody down and to give them their revenue shares is just not worth it. So yeah, exactly. I, I once there's a system in place that can support that, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like for example, if you know one like TuneCore or CD Baby or DistroKid, if they supported something like that, where they said, yeah, you can go and get, you can create an NFT through us, and 
we will automatically allocate out the the revenue shares to yeah. to to you know to people who bought that nft done because mm-hmm. it's all automated it's all done great mm-hmm. that i'm all about but right now because the platform i don't think exists just yet to really support that uh that to me is like it, it's just asking for trouble yeah i mean <laughs> like you know, that's the thing it's like it's i think it's just asking for trouble yeah i mean i think for the bigger artists it's not very uh it's not a great idea you know these guys they only had three three guys that three or four guys that bought the nft so you know they're not really they're not having to send out checks to 100 different people so i think as as it scales you're going to have to get that automation in to make it make any sense for any big artist Hundred percent. Also, too, like the NFT again, it really just depends upon the value that you put to it. So you can put the value of revenue share, but even as an up and coming artist, there's so. I mean, this is all done by crowdfunding campaigns as well. When you're doing a crowdfunding campaign, you're not transferring ownership or revenue shares of your music. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. most of the time, you're adding some sort of additional value for supporting your project. So whether that's uh, something that's exclusive or um, an experience of some sort, or, you know, obviously the album itself. So there's all these things, creative ways that you can uh, create as a thank you to the people that support you for your project. And I see NFTs in a very similar way, whereas that the transfer of value doesn't necessarily have to be you know the ownership or revenue of the music itself it can mean something different as you mentioned before um prior about um that it was only exclusively through the nft that you can listen to it like that's a really interesting idea because then there the value is the exclusivity not necessarily the revenue or the ownership of the copyright yeah i mean i think it's it's definitely an interesting space um and there's going to be a lot of trial and error i think a lot of projects will We'll, we'll be put out there and we'll phase out, um, you know, but it's it's going to be really interesting. I think in the next 10 years, I, I think there's going to be a big player that comes out of it that will rival a lot of Spotify's um, market share uh, in the in the whole music industry space. Um, you know, one of the big things with Spotify that I'm worried about for them is that they're just not, they don't seem very interested in NFTs, um, even though NFTs could potentially surplant their, their dominance. Um, you know, it, it's crazy. I went on Spotify recently and they have a link at the bottom of all these artists and it's just a link to the, uh, the ticket master. Uh, and I'm like, why isn't Spotify putting their own tickets? Like, why aren't they having people able to buy a Drake ticket on the platform? Um, just crazy to me because I think a lot of, if they implement a lot of the NFT stuff and, you know, they could definitely go out and license a lot of these concerts. Um, so I think, It'll be interesting to see. I hope Spotify puts their flag into the whole uh, potential industry, um, because if not, I think it, it could definitely be interesting to see where their market share goes in the future. I think they're all aware, well aware. I think they're just kind of, again, they're, they're, they're watching. They're yeah. just seeing what happens. A case in point, too. Um, and I, and that's the thing is like, I, it's, it's an interesting time for NFTs because it's equally as exciting, and, but also it's equally um that people that there's that backlash too and i think that's why also some people are not jumping on it just yet just kind of see how it goes um i know uh for example marvel did something with a company i'm trying to remember the company name where they did um nfts of Mm spider-man but they didn't call it an nft 
they called it something else and yeah. there's this whole arc like there's all this whole article that was just bashing them about like basically this is an nft and you're masking it as, as if it wasn't an nft but that's what it is and you know mm. and it was just completely bashing the, the whole concept of it which was like a basically a model rendering of spider-man in different poses right yeah. which is cool but i can but I can understand where the article is coming from as well because it wasn't very clear. So I think the irony is I think that that in some ways there needs to be another uh, terminology instead of just NFTs that mm-hmm. comes about that may get, p- get people to be a little bit more warmer to the idea. And also, again, too, I think it re- there really needs to be a platform that helps streamline the whole process so that people that aren't into cryptocurrency already, it makes it fairly easy for them to get to get into it and be able to invest into an NFT. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like you said, the, the Wild West right now. So it's uh, the, the foundations still definitely need to be built uh, right now. You know, I saw something, you know, Ethereum, Bitcoin, a lot of those cryptocurrencies, they're only able to do like nine to 10 transactions a second, where like a MasterCard or a Venmo can do 50,000. So in the future, Ethereum is supposed to get up to 50,000 in the next year or two, which will drastically reduce a lot of the energy. Um, Because one of the big things with energy and cryptocurrency um, is that a lot of cryptocurrency transactions have to wait in line to get to that, to be uh, bought and sold and put into the uh, the blockchain. And as the transactions per second go up, it will will cost a lot less energy to do each transaction, which should drastically uh, improve a lot of the environmental concerns and should lead to a lot of great project, great projects in the future. Absolutely. And also note too, that for example, and again, I never done this by myself, so I'm very much an amateur in this whole area. I just kind of mm-hmm. watch, but also too, I understand that in some, in many cases, if not all cases, you, you have to pay a fee for a transaction, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's up to $50, which is ridiculous <laughs> right so like if you're doing one nft exchange if it's less than 50 bucks <laughs> you're, yeah, you're losing, losing out money. you're just losing money so and i think that's the other thing too is that the barrier for even as a seller is um mm-hmm. is relatively high right now because of that fact that you have to have an nft token that's at least worth greater than 50 dollars just to cover the transaction fee alone yeah i mean but that's the great thing in the, in the future they said that the, the transaction fee per um, per NFT is going to be under $5. So you can start selling things that are at $10, $5 and still make a reasonable profit, uh, which I think will definitely improve the average fans participation in the area. hundred percent. And also the practical element too. I would love to see it get down to the point where it's basically pennies on the dollar because at that yeah. point in time, and especially if it's super efficient in it, it's not bogging down on the environment and, and taking massive energy consumption. Mm-hmm. I think once it gets to that point, that is when it's going to be the huge game changer. At that point in time, I think everybody's just going to jump on board on it. That's when we're going to see NFT tokens being used for contracts and licensing purposes and royalties and everything else that comes along with it. And that not only will revolutionize the music industry, but all other creative agencies too, uh, photography especially. Can you imagine that you know the NFT token means, okay, yeah, like this this image can be used in, di- in these different ways. And it's very easy for you to look it up. So yeah. even for yourself, like let's say, for example, you're writing for Ear Milk um, and let's say you're, you're covering a song, but you want to include an image of the artist um, that they didn't include, but you saw this really cool image. How great would it be to know exactly what the permission is to use that image, knowing mm-hmm. who, the, who the photographer was so you can make sure you properly credit them in the article? You know, yeah, it's I all mean, there. There's so much stuff. And with journalism as well, there's been a lot of interesting stuff 
with cryptocurrency in that, um, you know, right now they're doing these long form uh, investigations into, you know, different people and, and companies and they're funding them through cryptocurrency. So uh, journalists will come out and say, hey, I want to do a long form article on the NFL and concussions, or I want to do a long form article on Kanye West's career. And they'll say, hey, I need $10,000 for each month I'm, I'm writing this or whatever. And they'll put this giant crowdfunding and people will pay through cryptocurrency. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that can help improve the music industry's profitability and with music journalism profitability as well. That's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. But that's the whole point, right? It's like the possibilities are truly endless. Yeah. And I think, you know, technology is so incredible. It'll be, it will definitely be a different world in five to 10 years in music journalism and music. I totally agree. So we could probably go on and on forever about NFTs, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think this will be a good point to uh, to end this. But I do really, really appreciate uh, your time um, coming on the podcast. I'm really glad that you reached out to us. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being uh, being on the show. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you for having me on. It's been a it's been a great experience. Thank you so much. Real quick, before I let you all go, I want to take the opportunity to really appreciate the fact of all of you listening to the podcast. I've been honestly looking for ways on how to improve the show moving forward. So if you have any ideas or suggestions on what else we can do that you would like to hear or any other ways that we can engage with you, I would love to hear about it. So whenever you have a chance, you can email me. My personal email address is Mike, that's M-I-K-E, at 8020records.com. Or you can engage with us on any of our social media and just at 8020records on Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case is. Just shoot us a DM. Let us know what you guys are thinking about the uh, the whole show in general. And uh, really do appreciate it. So thank you again so much for all of you listening. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.